Welcome back to another Tokurific episode of Fanholes Toku Thursdays. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight. And joining me tonight is one, count them, one of my fellow Fanholes. Why don't you give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight? This is Underworld Decatur. Justin. Awesome. And so we are actually, me and Justin are here to kick off Blue Cupcakes Month Strikes Back! 
and this is going to be a month-long event on Fanhole's podcast. And if you're not completely familiar with the whole idea of blue cupcakes, blue cupcakes are weird for the sake of being weird. It's the strange, the unusual, the Grant Morrison fapping into sigils in the background doing kooky-ass shit. That is what blue cupcakes are all about. And so on this episode of Toku Thursdays, we have selected two tokusatsu series two episodes of tokusatsu series that either justin and myself felt dealt with the strange and unusual that delved into the kind of freaky deaky nature that you know basically imparts the lexicon of blue cupcakes and what it means to us so i think to start off we're actually going to be starting off with a common writer series and i'm going to turn it over to justin and tell him what common writer series was selected and what episode was picked and then we're going to get back together and discuss it so justin why don't you tell the listeners which series and, and what episode was selected for this episode of blue cupcakes month strikes back on toku thursdays I have chosen for us an episode from Kamen Rider X, specifically episode number 26, titled Underworld's Dictator, Starfish Hitler. It was funny because I was watching, you know how they have the the sort of pre-introductory, like this is kind of what has been happening previously mm -hmm. on Kamen Rider X and everything. And so I'm sitting there watching that and I'm like, you know, this... This isn't so strange. This isn't so bad. And then, of course, my first clue was when the title flashed across the screen where I was <laughs> yeah. like, Starfish Hitler, eh? I see why Justin picked this episode. Yeah. Like, now, that was my first clue, you know. So so I, I I knew I was in for something something good. That is why I chose it. Yeah, it, it's totally, uh, I mean, there's this, you know, trope, I guess, of Toku shows combining two things to make a monster. Like, it's the hedgehog traffic light monster. But, like, this one, when I watched it, I was like, wait a minute, what? But, yeah, I'll go ahead and get into the episode, then we'll talk about it. But this episode did originally air August 10th of 1974. Dr. Nambra's design for the Aries system was separated into nine pieces. God has one piece. X has another. Arriving at the airport is a scientist, Professor Esme, who Jen believes has one of the pieces. He is, he is escorted away in a car. As they are traveling down the road, he notices a starfish hanging to the window, and also, Starfish Hitler! <laughs> Jen gives chase, but finds the car abandoned and everyone gone. Starfish Hitler brings Esme to King Dark, only to discover he has been duped. The real professor is still at large. While searching, Jin is attacked by two starfish who merge into one, then becomes Starfish Hitler. Jin transforms into a Rider X and battles Starfish Hitler and his goons. Starfish Hitler flees and Jin fights his way inside the god base. He discovers the base is empty and it explodes. Jin returns with his arm and a sling. As the professor sits down to enjoy his meal, he notices a starfish. Starfish Hitler! Starfish Hitler takes the bracelet holding the design and manages to escape. Jin gives chase and transforms into Rida X. The battle takes place on land as well as in the ocean. X delivers his signature move, X-Kick. Starfish Hitler vows to take the plans with him. X wrestles him for the plans only to be caught in the explosion. But the bracelet and Jin survive. That is episode number 26. And like I said, you can totally see you know, why I chose this. Just because like 
the idea of taking a starfish and combining it with <laughs> not not just a real person, but like someone that's you know infamous in history, like Hitler. Like that's just totally like bizarro to me, man. Like that's the kind of thing that like you could never ever get away with over here. Like people like lose their minds and protest and well, stuff. Well, I'm I, yeah, I'm 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 surprised there's there's not a bunch of protesters like outside of my window right now because of Starfish <laughs> Hitler. You know, like they want to tear down the uh, Starfish Hitler and everything. You, you know what? You know what I don't get about like like this is this is one of those things that sort of blows my mind is like okay, not only is it Hitler dressed up like a starfish, right? But, like, I started getting flashbacks to one of our previous Blue Cupcakes episodes because I, I wanted to talk about the whole Battle Fever J episode and the whole starfish monster that was going to eat, you know, the, the, the you know, Battle Fever J members and eat, like, shoe souls, you know, and everything like that. And so, like, I, I was just like, is there some inherent fear of like is is the starfish a scary thing in Japan cuz like I was going to ask you this are you like I've never thought of starfish as scary like usually like I I I can't say there've been too many times I've encountered a live starfish only very rarely and usually the idea was oh it's a starfish like well it somehow got off you know out of the water like quick throw it back into the water so it's happy again like that was I mean, if anything, and then, and then, you know, worst case scenario, like my encounters with starfish were those kind of, you know, how like they, they, they would have those poor dried up bastards who weren't alive anymore. And it was just kind of like the, the crustacean, you know, like, you know, where, where it was just something that, you know, I don't know, somebody had as like decoration or something like that. So it's like, those, those are my two instances of having encountered starfish it's either some kind of ornament you know a long dead thing that probably animal rights people would like freak out about over today or you know you you eat kind of like somebody catching a fish and throwing it back into the water you know it's like whoops there's a starfish like make sure it gets back into the water you know and and, and has a happy life or whatever and like those are my two instances of dealing with real life starfish and i'm just kind of like were you like I, I don't know like did you ever have any scary encounters with starfish <laughs> like I I don't know like that's that's something no. that kind of seems blue cupcakey to me too it's like why are starfish yeah. like held in such scary regard in in tokusatsu shows like is there something about starfish in Japan that I just don't know about the only thing I could think of is that maybe it's the idea of taking something common that you might find along the beach and turning it into, into something like deadly you know something unexpected it's like oh look it's a cat well, who cares it's a cat and all of a sudden the cat like turns into like you know cat genghis khan or something you're like oh cow <laughs> that, that's yeah. the only thing i can think of yeah, is yeah, taking yeah. something very ordinary okay. and making it dead but making it deadly yeah okay i i mean i guess i see that yeah it's like it, it and i i guess the other aspect in in you know dealing straight with the the prime you know blue cupcakeness is you know starfish hitler you know like right and and my my other thing is why is star, like i get it like there's obviously a big bad in this this common writer x franchise and at this moment in time in the series the big bad is is the guy named king dark who basically just kind of lounges around essentially you know he lounges around uh, goto or god headquarters or god headquarters or whatever you want to call it and kind of orders people to to 
go out and do nefarious things for for the organization but it kind of cracked me up that he's like dictator starfish hitler but yet he's not really dictating to anyone like king dark is the one dictating to him telling him to go like carry out his agenda so the other part of it is does he just look like starfish like like I, I guess i guess it's like one of those things where you're like you're like the red skull doesn't work for doctor doom <laughs> like like that that's kind of like my attitude about it it's like hitler doesn't work for king dark you know like uh, you know he's too infamous to to work for somebody else but yet here he is like just kind of like this average agent you know where it's like you you, you just get the idea like because it's like a program for kids like it's like th they know enough to merge this common beach crustacean with a an infamous figure from history but there's not too much consideration given to that infamous historical figure's personality i guess you know what i mean like it's like you I, I you know it's like one of those things where i guess you know you're putting way too much thought into it it's like but why you know it's kind of like why does god need a starship it's like wh why does hitler need to work for king dark you know like like that's kind of my <laughs> attitude you know and i'm sure king dark would like shoot me with fucking lightning bolts and shit and i'd be like ah and you'd have to come pick me up and blow away uh fucking king dark with the bird of prey and save my ass but like that's that's kind of what, like, I feel like. I'm like, why does fucking, why does Starfish Hitler need to work for King Dark? Like, it's kind of funny to me, too. Yeah. There were a few others who were kind of, I, I don't even know what the proper term would be for this, but there were a few other, like, historical figures who were dead in this manner. There was also Ant Capone, which is an ant in Al Capone. And then... <laughs> Oh, holy shit. Where was that? Was that also in Common Rider X or was it somewhere else? Yeah. No, the, the, these are all in Common Rider X. Okay, wow. There's Aunt, there, there's Aunt Capone, Spider Napoleon, and Rhinoceros Beetle Lupin. See, I, I, you know, I guess speaking of, like, because you suggested this, I guess I should let the listeners in on the fact that, like, this essentially was my first episode of Common Rider X for the most part. And then I, I actually, you know, because I was sort of engaged by Common Rider X, I did go back and I've watched almost the first six episodes. Like I, I watched the first five and, and I got a little bit of the way through episode six. And I just sort of, I, I kind of wanted to be up to speed on what a, what a standard Common Rider X episode was before we sort of delved into the blue cupcakes to just, you know, have a frame of reference. And and to be honest, I mean, I, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who wants to get into the series, but I think I think it started out as kind of what I would have thought as a a standard Common Rider hero story with some tragic nature to it. And and then they threw in this twist to the tragedy that I didn't see coming. And so I was, I was kind of engaged by that, you know, and, and, and I thought it was kind of a, a cool twist. Like, you know, it was one of those things where I thought to myself, Hey, you know, this is, you know, this is going to be another kind of, you know, Oh, you know, I'm Bruce Wayne. Woe is me. My parents are dead. I'm going to fight crime thing. And then they throw in this little twist, you know, towards, towards the end of it that carries over into future episodes where I, I did kind of feel compelled to, to watch the next episode to find out what the whole deal was with that twist. 
And then, and then the other thing that, that I kind of thought about was, and this definitely applies to this episode is, man, uh, Tobe Tachibana gets around. Like, I get that he's like the, 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 the sort of linchpin in all these early Kamen Rider series. And I was trying to like formulate the idea in my head to like explain to somebody. And of course, this probably won't make any sense to anybody who doesn't read comic books, but like, imagine that Alfred the Butler worked for the flash but like alfred the butler worked for jay garrick alfred the butler worked for barry allen alfred the butler worked for wally west and then now you've got bart allen taking up the mantle of the flash and alfred's like who the hell are you and he's like i'm the new flash and then they like shake hands and everything's hunky-dory after that like and that's kind of that's kind of what it felt like when i was getting up to speed with Common Rider X, and I mean, I, I do kind of enjoy it, and then in another kind of weird comic connection, I mean, I don't know how much this applies to, to all the episodes, but when he's created, the notion is he's created with the ability to withstand the depths of the ocean, because they start out with this like base that has the essence of his his, his dead father in it, and and he usually launches from his motorcycle underwater in the ocean with that. So, like, usually he, I mean, I don't know if this happens every episode, but in some of the early episodes, he's basically being launched from the depths of the ocean and, and basically pops out onto the beach with him and his bike or what have you. And so, like, there, there was a, a kind of notion that I thought of where I'm like, oh, wow, is he kind of like the... Aquaman of common Riders in a way like because he he does have like these you know inherent underwater capabilities like he's specifically designed to be able to withstand the ocean depths like that's part of his his design as a common Rider and then you know seeing him fight like on the beach fronts with with some of these these monsters and everything I'm kind of like oh yeah this uh, you know not precisely but like I started getting vibes where I'm like oh I could see like doing like a fan picture of like you know arthur curry and 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 you know kusuke Jin, you know hanging out on the beach together and fighting bad guys and stuff like that so th those were some of my like my first impressions and then you know this this episode like not not only like is the whole i mean you know the core of the blue cupcakes is certainly you know starfish hitler you know <laughs> like which is great i i love it but the the other thing that I thought was kind of funny to watch was, and and this is something I'd want to ask you about, like what your take on it was. But the the plot of the the episode itself is that these two scientists are coming and they've got this important blueprint, and and they don't want the evil organization, you know, Gato or God or whatever, to get their hands on it. And so it starts out with. I guess these, you know, cute teeny bopper girls who are members of the Common Rider fan club, Mako and Chico, and they're trying to, I don't know, like they're basically trying to engage the scientists before everybody else gets there. And like, it turns out it's all part of Kusuke's master plan because the scientists that first show up that look nicely dressed and everything that get carted away by these people to invite them to a hotel for a nice interview and everything and then turn out to really be evil agents like those are decoys those aren't the real scientists 
And that's all part of a plan from the good guys. And then Mako and Chico, these cute little teeny girls, run into basically the same actors, but now they're dressed up like tree-hugging hippies. And they have, like, long hair, and they're wearing sandals, and, like, they, they, they're speaking English to them, where they're like, shake my hand, please, you know, and, and, and saying stuff like that. And so that I also thought was a, a kind of blue cupcake -y aspect of the show where it's like, you know, seeing basically, it, it's almost like Japanese people cosplaying as hippies. Like that's kind of the vibe I got from, from how, I mean, they're, they're supposed to be in disguise, quote unquote, but that's, that's kind of what it felt like. It was almost like watching a couple of Japanese, an actor and an actress cosplaying as, like, you know, like they're in the Wonder Years or something like that. And I guess my confusion also stemmed from, and I'll ask you this, because I, I don't know what your answer is going to be, but what do you think happened to the decoys in this episode? Hmm. Because I, 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 I know, again, I'm putting way too much thought into the episode, but, like, they, it's like... He, he, his plan is to have decoys so the real scientists and document are protected. And of course, the evil guys find out anyway. And I'm, I'm almost confident. I mean, it's hard to tell because we're watching this. This, this is not officially fan subbed. It's not fan subbed well or anything like, well, I mean, I guess, I guess what we're watching is a, you know, like what I like to call the Hong Kong English bootleg subs you know like it, it, it's very poor poorly written english you know that kind of gives you the basic gist of what's going on so there could be some finer points that i'm missing because i do not speak japanese and don't understand all the finer details of what's going on but i i i kind of feel like just based on the visuals the real scientists get the plan stolen from them but are not killed like, he, he did succeed in his goal to protect the real scientists. But as far as the decoys go, the decoys are tortured, and then the next time we see Kamen Rider X come in, he thinks he sees them hung to death. But then when he turns around the figures, because they're turned from behind, they're actually dummies, like mannequins or dolls, and there's this sort of taunting note from, you know, Starfish Hitler about, you know, ha ha ha, like, here's your gift. And this is, you know, where the, and, and then those mannequins explode and, and wound him, right? But I'm kind of like, does that mean he really, does, did Starfish Hitler kill the decoys? Cause we never see them again. Like, like, I mean, it could just be a matter of budget where they couldn't have, you know, they could only shoot so many scenes with those actors or something, but it's like, I, I kind of feel confident saying that the real scientists live through this, but I, I'm kind of wondering, like, what the hell happened to the decoys? Like, like, did they die? Like, we'd never see them again, and and they didn't outright show them dead, so there's always that hope, right? You, you didn't see it on screen, so if you, if you want to be the glass half full guy, you could say, oh, they they are also fine, and... And uh, Kusuke, you know, saved them, even though we didn't see it on screen. But I, I just thought it'd be an interesting thing to, to mull over, I suppose. You know, I never even thought about that. And I've seen this episode twice, and I n didn't even pick up on it. So that's 
that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I never thought about it because you're absolutely right. Like we see them getting tortured and then the mannequins and then kaboom and then that's it. So I yeah, don't know. The, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I mean, no, it's it, it's an open ended question. I mean, I, I don't know what the answer is. I, I was just curious, like, you know, what what your take on it was and, and, and you know, if you know because sometimes you're like okay like we're saying these are designed for kids to watch so you know maybe they didn't need to cross all the t's and dot the i's you know like maybe you're just supposed to assume that like everything's hunky-dory or or maybe you know they like some of these you know 70s era tokusatsu shows you know who knows maybe they did get horribly killed but we're not really gonna dwell on it that much because you know the episode seems to end with Kamen Rider X zooming right away on his bike and everything's like good job you blew up starfish Hitler buddy like way to go like we're gonna look on the bright side of things and stuff and that's that's basically the end of it and then I guess the other thing I wanted to ask was and this is not me just trying to poke holes in the episode or anything because like I said I really enjoyed this I kind of want to you know, watch all the rest of the episodes. Like I, I was engaged by this and, and, and think it's a really good series. But the, the other thing I was trying to figure out was he's, he's rebuilt, you know, he dies and his father rebuilds him as kind of a, you know, just, just like all the early Showa era common writers. Like he is essentially a mechanical man. Like when he, when he slaps, uh, Tobe Tachibana on the back when they're first introduced to one another, you know, Tobe Tachibana is kind of like, ow, like, and he he's like, I only meant to lightly tap you, but because he's this, this guy with, you know, he's, you know, basically a newly Christianed robotic man with super abilities, you know, he doesn't know his own strength, right? So what I'm wondering is, I get the idea that these exploding mannequin bombs, this trap that was planted by Starfish Hitler, totally exploded in his face and took him out but then like when we see him again and you mentioned this in the synopsis his arms in a sling and his face is all kind of bloodied and, and bruised and all that other stuff so i'm like okay fine but like I, I i don't know like i i was just kind of thinking like how does he how does a robot like i mean a robot can break its arm right like uh, a cyborg can break its arm but like i don't know it just seemed like like the way they treated it was like he, somehow he was normal in his civilian mode even though he's not like I, I i don't know like like and then and then it seemed like one of those things where if they had bothered to choreograph the fight so that he was only fighting like one-handed that whole time and doing a lot of kick fighting i i i might have just been like okay i guess you know his his hands not in good shape and he's trying to avoid using it but it seemed like eventually either due to you know, maybe the, the timetables of shooting or, 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 you know, maybe the choreography was done on a tight schedule or whatever. I mean, eventually he's, he, you know, eventually he just kind of discards that sling and, you know, he, he's got to use his wounded hand in the fight, you know, and, and I was just kind of like, I, I don't know, like, I, I, I was just kind of, again, kind of like, you know, having that Kirk moment where it's like, why does a robot need a sling? Like, like, what? I, I don't know, like, like, and I know he's not a robot, but you, you know what I mean. Like, he's, he's, yeah. he's a mechanical man. Like, like, if, 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 if he, if he got screwed up by the explosion, you know, go back to Tachibana's garage and have him, like, I don't know, whatever, you know, uh, a mechanical, you know, fix the piston, stick some oil in it, do whatever, you know. But what, what, a sling is so somebody's broken bone can heal, right? Like, so you don't use the arm while your arm's healing. Like this. That's not, 
really what happened to him, really, you know? So I was just, I don't know. It was just one of those things where, again, I was probably thinking way too much about it. But again, I was, I was curious about your thoughts. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess, I guess that's one of those things just for like the kids to be like, oh man, like, you know, Kamen Rider X is hurt. But if you want like some kind of like theory, I, I, I don't know, unless it's maybe like his, you know, Rider X form was, injured or damaged and then when he went back to being jin kyusuke like that damage represented itself or was that what you know it displayed itself as a broken arm and bruised head and bloodied face okay like, I don't yeah yeah, know. yeah yeah no i see what you're saying like like that, that that maybe even though i'm viewing it as a as a broken arm and a sling and a bruised face like in reality it's it's really you know this sort of mechanical damage but the only way i can perceive it in his in his human mode is is as you know standard human damage, but maybe that's not what it actually is. Like that, that's a good no prize. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, the way I always kind of looked at the writers, you know, whether it's you know a human turning into a common writer, or you know a monster turning into a person, or a person that can turn into a monster and back and forth or whatever. Like I always kind of look at the monster or the writer as the true form. Like, in my head, the Jin Kyusuke is just, you know, like, that's just a, that's just for appearance, or maybe even, for like, for camouflage, maybe? Yeah, maybe, like, when the, the Transformers have, like, holograms of drivers or something like that, like, that's just a, a facade, right? It's not, it's not the real guy anymore. It's, it's not what he right. actually looks like, and, and Rider X is is what he really looks like. So, maybe if, if he was in the Rider X form before he transformed back, you know, maybe he'd have a, a arm that was like dangling loose with like wires popping out of it. But in this case, it's, it's in a sling and that's what we see. I, I, I don't know how, how comfortable I feel delving into this, but I'm like, I, 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 I'm starting to feel like Tachibana is like the Matthew McConaughey in Dazed and Confused. Like where where like does he always have like like these young <laughs> yeah. nubile prepubescent girls yeah. like working for him and like you know eating ice cream and doing all this stuff? I'm just kind of like it's like it's like I I feel like I'm at that age where I'm like man this is this is dangerous like this is not you know this is like this could be really bad man like that's that's why yeah. I'm like you know it's 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 like when I'm watching Common Rider X Aid and what's his face the unlicensed doctor is going out with what's her name the the little uh the little girl model or whatever you know and i'm just kind of like that's that that that's that's right on the cusp there where you're just kind of like <laughs> this is this is this is very dangerous you know <laughs> dangerous ground you know yeah most of the series that he's in he'll have a you know a base of operations and it could be a coffee house or it could be like a motorcycle racing club or whatever it's always something different in every series and there are at least you know there's at least one, usually two or three, you know, young, attractive ladies who are just kind of there hanging out, maybe helping every now and then in an episode. But, you know, really, they're just kind of, you know, as we say, like they're there for the dads, basically. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 a lot of eye candy there and stuff like that. And like that's but I, I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at, because I, 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 I guess I don't know if my perceptions warped or whatever, but I I feel like the the episodes I watched of just common rider and v3 like i i felt like those girls were like in their in their 
you know, early 20s and had, like, little 8-year-old brothers and stuff like that. But, like, these girls feel like they're, like, 15 or 16 or something like that to me. I mean, I don't know if I'm, like, way off or whatever, but, like, that's kind of, you know, they seem much younger than, than some of the other, you know, quote-unquote eye candy, which is why I, I was, like, it's, like, this is getting you know, like uncomfortable, you know, it's like, it's like, I, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, okay, well, you know, they're, they're all running around and they're quote unquote eye candy. But like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm at that point where I'm kind of like, this is not, you know, like, like if I, like, like Tony always says, if I was, if I was a 16 year old boy and watching Common Rider X, I'd be like, wow, those girls are really cute. But I, I feel a little weird suggesting that now, you know, that's, that's all I guess I'm getting at. Am I condemned? No, no, no comments from the peanut gallery. <laughs> I have nothing to say. All right, Justin refuses to incriminate himself. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, you know, I, I think, I mean, I don't know. Do you, do you have anything else on uh, on this episode or Common Rider X in general, like that you want to impart to the listeners? I'll just say that I'm a really big fan of you know Showa writers, but I really like Common Rider X and. When I started watching, there were only like maybe six episodes subbed, but I I was always really kind of interested in you know the story. But I also thought you know Writer X had a really interesting look, so I sought out the the Hong Kong subs or whatever, and like that's how I watched the majority of the series. And they, you know, at first they kind of hurt your brain because you have to like figure out what they're saying and rearrange words. But if if you if you sit down and watch like two or three in a row, you eventually can just like make sense of it like really quickly. But that's that's how I watch the series. It's like it's like reading those uh, those Dada issues of uh, Morrison's <laughs> Doom Patrol. Like eventually, all that ass backwards talk starts yeah. to make sense in your in your brain. Yeah, but uh, when they do finish subbing the the entire series, I do plan on going back and watching it properly because I do really like this series. Yeah, I guess I guess we should say like right now for anybody who's interested, the the masked subbers picked up where what's the the first six I think was like the order of Xenos or something like that. Yeah, Xenos, and they stopped. But now now the masked subbers are the ones who are doing Masked Rider X or Common Rider X. And and they're up to as of this recording, they're up to episode twenty-two. So who knows? Maybe by the time this is released, there'll be a, a nice, clean, a nice, well-crafted English fan sub instead of as opposed to a a Hong Kong English sub that that may hurt your brain to read. Hong Kong subs mess with Misa head thoughts. <laughs> mine too buddy mine too <laughs> so i i think what we'll do is we'll we'll take a quick break and then when we come back we're going to be discussing uh by coincidence uh or properly planned we will be discussing an episode of ultraman x so stay tuned for more exu coming up next phew another great show wrapped sure was now, uh, time to move on to our serious business. Time for the monthly team meeting. So, Team WFD, roll call. Activate. Host, Mike. I'm here, bro. Webmaster, Doug. Hey, everybody. Kapow. Tech support, Rifty. Huzzah. It is I, Rifty. Ascendient Twitter account, Wilfred. And me, other host, Paul. Okay, everyone present. Now, let's look at our upcoming schedule because we've got some big things coming up. I think our first order of business should be the new segment, Thoughts. 
Is the new segment about my triumphant return to your world? What the f***? Holy sh! Son of a... Who let the candle maker in here? Well, Fred? There are far too many humans on this show. I'm just trying to balance things out. Look, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Candlemaker. There's nothing really for you in the upcoming episodes. Plus, let's be honest, you, you had your 15 minutes. What? what? How dare you? I'm King Kandor. Yeah, 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 whatever. Look, um, we've got a new segment launching. We've got some guests planned. Jail May 2 to look forward to. Not to mention our 100th episode coming up. And we really don't have room for you. I'm sorry. But, 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 what? Uh, what? Uh, fine. fine. Whatever. Whatever. You mortals and your show suck. Oh, yeah? Well, we might suck, but we can still blow you out just like Dorothy the Ape-Face Girl did. Yeah, in your face, King Candle. Oh, ha, ha. Very funny. Bye, losers. See you in hell. Man, that guy was a jerk. Waiting for Doom, the world's greatest Doom Patrol podcast, available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Podbean.com. Alright, we are back, and we hope you've enjoyed listening to the first half where we talked about Kamen Rider Exu, and now we're going to be discussing Ultraman X, and this is a more modern series. Ultraman X is the 27th entry in the Ultraman Tokusatsu series from Subaraya Productions, and it does have a, a similar trope and theme to, or I guess gimmick you might call it, to some of the previous Ultraman series that basically were attached to the whole Spark Doll gimmick, which made you all, you know, all the kids were supposed to run out and buy these vinyl Spark Dolls and everything for Ultraman Ginga and Ginga S. 
but there you know there there are spark dolls that show up on Ultraman X but this series main gimmick is going to be these cyber themed cards that basically initiate the transformation sequence for like the Ultraman character and various you know heroes and villains throughout the series and everything and so we're discussing actually the 19th episode it's titled Living Together and this originally aired December 1st 2015 and just for reference, this is something you can legally watch over on Crunchyroll. So if you want to follow along before you listen to the synopsis and check it out, you can certainly go do that before you listen. But here we go. While a freaky-deaky, almost lifeless-looking alien known to fans of Ultra Q as M1 hovers above the Earth in outer space, Zio begins their experiment to transform Gamora from a spark doll into his quote-unquote full realization form. With a three-minute window to complete their testing, Daichi talks to Gamora, and to everyone's surprise, Gamora actually understands Daichi, obeying some simple sit commands and mimicking his movements. Asuna is thrilled and joins Daichi in a congratulatory petting session and a thumbs up. Just then, dark thunder energy is detected and appears overhead at the testing site. Luckily, the first strike is no match for the Zeo scientist's energy barrier. However, multiple strikes continue and eventually it results in a large, single strike which pierces the shield and destroys the shield generator. The dark thunder energy makes relatively friendly Daikaiju violent and brutish, and in this case, Gamora is transformed into EX Gamora, who goes on a rampage throughout the countryside. Daichi quickly unites with Ultraman X to go after EX Gamora, who is attacking Area K5. Daichi pleads with Gamora to calm down, as Captain Shitoro Kamiki and Deputy Captain Sayuri Tachibana order Wataru and Hayato to support Ultraman X in the Sky Muscadi, and Asuna to help with the civilian evacuation in the Aramis. In the middle of battle, Daichi hears the voice of the observing alien who asks, if this is your idea of coexistence, and transports Ultraman X into a tiny lab beaker on a white table. M1 introduces himself, giving his full backstory as an artificial life form created by science and then abandoned, with TV clips from his original Ultra Q appearance. When Daichi tries to use his Ultraman Zero Cyber Card to break free, M1 tells him his powers are useless in his realm. With the civilian evacuation complete by Asuna, Zio starts an assault on EX Gamora. When Daichi begs to be transported back to Earth, M1 questions if he will then exterminate Gamora. Although Daichi thinks M1 may be behind the Dark Thunder energy strikes, M1 denies that suspicion and chalks this up to human logic being filled with malice and ignorance. M1 believes humanity cannot coexist, and that those who cannot coexist will ultimately meet their own destruction. As EX Gamora heads into K6 region, which is still populated with potential civilian casualties, Captain Kamiki is forced to issue the kill order for Gamora to the Zeo pilots. 
Although Wataru, Hayato, and Asuna are deeply conflicted, they obey their captain's orders. The Sky Musketeer's Cyber King Joe Destroy Cannon opens fire on EX Gamora. After Gamora is felled by the cannon blast, Asuna rushes in to try and talk some sense into her former friend and comrade. Despite nearly being killed several times and nearly being stepped on, Asuna's plight to convince Gamora to reject the Dark Thunder energy and live together in harmony touches a chord in M1. M1 snaps his fingers and releases Ultraman X so he can stop Gamora from killing not only the girl, but the seed of coexistence that she has sparked. Ultraman X's shield blocks EX Gamora's fatal blast, and then he transforms into his Exceed Exu form. The Exceed X slash turns EX Gamora back to the standard friendly Gamora once more. However, Gamora opens his arms to indicate that he now deserves to be destroyed by X's Xandium Beam. But before X can fire, Gamora transforms back into his Spark Doll form. As Ultraman X sees a crying Asuna cradling Gamora's Spark Doll, M1 again telepathically speaks to Daiichi and X, saying he will observe their future from a distance. Then M1 says, I am a seagull, which is super fucking blue cupcakes and comes out of nowhere. <laughs> and then we end on Daiichi, vowing that he and Gamora will meet again one day. And that is the 19th episode of Ultraman Exu. And basically, I, I was I was kind of talking to Justin about this before we, we started officially recording. I, I may have picked this because of the Ultra Q episode, because typically Ultra Q episodes are very Twilight Zone-y. They are kind of, you know, they have those, those twist endings, and they have very strange circumstances, very much blue cupcake-y episodes. And when M1 originally appeared... I mean, he's this, you know, I know podcasting is an audio medium, so you have to sort of describe this creature to people. Like, he's this kind of apish, like, hairy kind of creature with, like, these big puffy cheeks and huge lips and these beady little eyes. And, like, it's almost like he's this alien kind of ape man missing link thing but it's highly advanced it's like if the watcher was like i don't know koba from the planet of the apes but like with beady <laughs> eyes and big lips or so i don't you know i mean that's that's the the best equivalent i can give you like it's a very it's a very strange looking thing because it has it has very familiar qualities but they're all sort of meshed together to make something that kind of looks unique and strange and in the the ultra q episode it's it's all about these kids and they're on this train and it's all kind of weird and twilight zoney and freaky and so i i don't know if i'm i'm applying or or you know i i i guess i don't know if if i'm i'm sort of influenced by that and and apply the same blue cupcake stuff to this but i mean i do think even if you've never seen the ultra q episode just by the fact that m1 is this kind of watcher-esque you know removed from from earth and 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 just general society like he's this this 
almost omniscient observer that then decides to take a small part in the story like there's something that's kind of strange about him and and the way they always sort of i mean the way he's introduced like it don't like to me you know it's like when you first look at him it almost looks like a dead guy floating in space you know or a dead thing floating in space so you don't even know if he's i don't know to me it's like one of those things where you're like is that guy dead? And you're like, no, he's not dead. He's alive. And he's in this weird little sort of almost formless universe. I mean, mostly when Daiichi is Ultraman X and he's trapped in this little lab beaker. I mean, the only form in the scene, it's mostly just a black, you know, room or it's not even a room. It's just, you know, it's just complete blackness. But the only thing there is this kind of shiny white table and, and Daiichi on all, you know, with surrounded by all this sort of scientific equipment on a table and this beaker. And then, of course, you know, Ultraman X is what, like a few inches and, and M1 is this gigantic, strange looking beady eyed ape looking figure with his big giant tummy and, 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 and a kind of ape-like chest, you know, like, I mean, it's like, like, like I, I, maybe a better example is that a Koba is, is if, you know, if Optimus Primal in his ape mode and whatever I said before was merged together, you know, like where it's like, it, it, he definitely has a, a strange kind of look to him and everything. And, and again, like, you know, there, there, I mean, he's got some, some interesting, philosophical quandaries and 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 you know maybe he he's a way for uh, you know certain certain philosophies to be espoused through him you know like the the kind of philosophy to to you know live with people in harmony to to kind of coexist like those kind of notions which you know for the most part you'd think are are pretty positive notions but it, it's it's also said from a point of pessimism i think because i think the idea that he's saying it means he doesn't think humanity's capable of it it's not it, it, it it's almost like he's he's a, a very q like character you know like like he's probably happy when asuna shows that spark that that humanity can coexist but i think i think there's a lot of that kind of disdain you know the the that that humanity is beneath him because he's such a superior life form or something like that and 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 kind of has that attitude i i think within the the philosophies that he's espousing which is kind of ironic because he's saying like if you don't coexist then you're doomed to to be destroyed so you're you're wondering like are all is he like uatu where like you know or or, or like you know galactus where all his you know, society, his previous society was destroyed or whatever, and he's the only, is M1 the only one left of his society, and that's why he knows, because his, his race went through the same thing, like, we don't really know that, but, you know, this is just me speculating at this point, but, you know, part of me is kind of like, can he be that arrogant if, if he is also guilty of not wanting to coexist? Because clearly he's not on the same plane of existence as humanity, and Ultraman and everybody else in the universe otherwise he would be more involved so so it's kind of like he's throwing stones at a at a glass house in a way but he he has a lot of valid sort of points and 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 interesting you know sort of philosophy that he sort of 
throws at you from this kind of strange visage and everything. And then, you know, of course, my favorite part is like, and I, I know there's more context to it because he, he says more lines than I am a seagull. But I swear, like when that end part comes up and it's like, basically, it's kind of like, great, Daiichi, way to go. Like, you guys really made progress here as humanity. I'm going to keep an eye on you from a distance and we're going to see how it works out. I am a seagull. You know, and I was just kind of like, that just comes out of left field where he's like, <laughs> I am a seagull. And I'm like, you're a fucking chubby ass, hairy, weird looking thing floating through space. You ain't no fucking seagull. What are you talking about? You know, and, and so like, I, you know, of course, taking it straight, you know, of course, it's going to be weird. But uh, obviously, there's there's some more lines of dialogue where he's like, I am a seagull floating on the air and. One day, I, I forget what the rest of the quote is, but basically there's more context to it. that ma if, you, if you keep listening to it, it makes sense. But it's kind of like when you... It, it reminds me of when I first heard the line of, of Yoda in The Phantom Menace, where, you know, he, at the end of it, he's kind of like, Skywalker will be. And I just went, will be what, Yoda? Will be what? And I went, oh, he's doing Yoda speak where everything's backwards. You know, your apprentice, Skywalker, will be. And uh, he meant, oh, his, his apprentice is going to be Skywalker. And, like, but, of course, I, I think my first instinct was, like, your apprentice, Skywalker, is going to be what, Yoda? It's going to be what? And, like, Yoda never said anything. So, like, I kind of feel the same way where it's, like, you know, I am a seagull. And you're, like, and and what does that mean, M1? What does that mean? You know, and, and of course, you don't, you don't necessarily get an answer it's kind of metaphorical and and you know all sort of hoity-toity and 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 a, a little you know uh uh sort of i don't know pretentious but but you know having said that i enjoy this episode i enjoy ultraman x except for daiichi's big old ears and everything like ultraman <laughs> x is awesome I, I like Asuna, and I like the the you know I like the the Zio cast of characters. They're all they all have kind of distinct personalities, and you know it, I, it, we don't get into too much of this. It's funny I wrote down like all these names because I figured if Tony had actually watched this, he might ask me questions about it. But I know you've watched it, so you're not going to ask me questions about it. But I'll just say that like Ryu or I don't I'm not, I'm not sure how you say her name, but Ryu or Ri 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 I don't know. It's R U Y R U I. How do you say that? Re Re U I? I don't know. Anyway, the cute little girl with the glasses that's one of the scientists. Oh, yeah. It's like, I like Mamaru her. and 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 uh Lady R, we'll call her. But like there, you know, she's obviously she's got a lot of personality. It's like she's, you know, to to, to again draw it back to uh uh if you're familiar with comic book TV shows, it's like she's the cute little Japanese felicity of this series. Like, she's kind of like a, a little tech guru wizard and everything. And, and of course, she's got a lot of, she's got a, a bubbling personality. So, you know, you instantly like her. She's, she's the type of, like, she, she, at some point in the series, like, tries to take selfies with, like, some of the Ultraman characters that show up throughout the course of the series. Like, so she's, she's obviously, like, a very fun character. Asuna is, is, uh, is one of those characters I think that is indicative of of the sort of current views on on sort of uh, maybe women in TV and films and and just you know women in general that that you know she she is not looking for I guess uh, uh, 
I, I don't know what the right way to put this is, but you know, that, that she's not looking for a handout. Like she's not looking for any excuses to be made because that she's a woman or because she's a female or anything like that. Like she is in the military and you know, she's, she's doing her job and she's actually very good at her job. Like she is a fierce fighter and everything like that. So like there's, there's that kind of character as well where, you know, I guess to juxtapose it to the, you know, Lady R, the little science girl. I mean, you know, she's she she doesn't have a bubbling personality. She actually has a very focused and determined personality, but she's also a very good character. And and she's got a lot of heart in this, you know, like she's 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 very emotional and and also kinda goes through some turmoil because they're dealing with Gamora, who, I mean, to put it in context, I mean, you know, this may sound sort of, uh, you know, since this is an isolation, this may not have a lot of context, but that, that Gamora is almost like, like having, you know, Daichi had that spark doll since he was a little kid. Like, it's almost like you've had a pet since, you know, it's, it's almost like you're about to put down a dog you've had since you were three years old. You know, like, that's kind of what this, this story is about almost you know and 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 the fact that like the the dark energy kind of makes you know it's like if your dog got rabies or some shit you know like that's kind of what it's equivalent to in this episode so there's there's a lot of heavy themes kind of in in the undertones here of the episode and i mean it can be a you know i i mean if you if you let it this could be an episode that kind of gives you the feels like as the kids say you know if 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 you let it you know where where it deals with some kind of you know emotional bonds between the lead characters and and you know people that are close to them you know in in a kind of maybe uh you know a human pet context i would say you know like that that somebody who's you know in your life all the time and and you'd be sad if you had to uh put it down basically and so that's i mean you know that that's kind of my take on this episode and i'm i'm pretty sure you were watching this as it came out right justin like or am i wrong i waited until the series was finished and then just kind of watched it okay burst. sort of sort of binge binge watched it and everything it kind of yeah but yeah I, I do like ultraman x i think it's a really fun series and one of the things i like about it is that as you see in this episode it features my favorite ultra kaiju ever like gomera like i really like gomera anytime he shows up i'm like dude gomera's awesome like whether it's whether it's his own series where he's fighting monsters or if he's just you know a cameo and he's fighting ultraman or or whatever like anytime gomera shows up i'm like dude it's gomera he's gonna kick somebody's butt i I did like this episode i did go back and watch the episode of ultra q featuring m1 like i i remember that that was one of the few episodes i did watch on shelf factory when they had when you could watch ultra q there so I kind of went back and refreshed my memory, and I was like, "Yeah, that that is kind of an odd episode." And it it kind of has this weird thing at the end where it's like, you know, M1 and this little Japanese boy, they're like on this runaway train, and then there's like this piece of equipment on the tracks that's supposed to stop it. Well, it the train flies through it and through a bunch of buildings, and everything explodes, and then there's like a vault inside of the train. And there's like a little kid in it that goes flying out into space and the little kid like opens the vault and, you know, bonkers. He like doesn't die. But like right before the train hits the object that's supposed to slow it down in the tracks, you see this literally this you see this little weird. I don't know. It looks like it's something made out of clay or styrofoam. Like I think it's supposed to be M1. Like somehow he got on top of the train and then you see that like 
goes all the explosions, and then you see like M one floating in space with the little the little kid in the vault, and that's that's how that episode ends. So I was like, so he's been floating in space this whole time, and like, what happened to the kid? Like, did that little kid get sent back to Earth? Like, did he like? die because he had no food or air or did him one send him back like i don't yeah it's know. funny it's like one of those things where you're like are you are you supposed to think about it too much or is it just supposed to be that weird freaky ending and and then and then you start to wonder like like for some reason like this series i mean it's, it's one of the only times m1s come back to an Ultraman show proper. I mean, I, I see yeah. there's a lot of references to the character. Like, it obviously made an impact on the culture. Like, people remember the episode of Ultra Q and the character, obviously, because it's very memorable. <laughs> it's very... It's like, what? The dude who's in the box and in the train and then he went into space and what the... What the fuck had just happened, basically? Like, this kind of blue cupcakes thing that we're, we're, we're doing the theme on and everything. You know, they, they are striking back as we speak. It's kind of... I'm trying to think of... It's weird because the, the, the other places that the character is showing up, the M1 character, has been in, like, these one-off little comedy skits on shows. So it's like... I I I I don't know what that's exactly equivalent to. I guess it'd be kind of like if if Freddy Krueger showed up on a comedy skit or or ET showed up on a comedy skit. I don't know. I don't I I I can't quite find a uh, something that's analogous to it. I mean, unless unless you said something like I I really do think the character is very similar to Marvel's The Watcher. But like imagine if Marvel's The Watcher only showed up in the Galactus trilogy and then only just now showed up in, like, the latest issue of Ultimate Spider-Man. And then in between that, he was, like, on a couple Saturday Night Live sketches. You know, like, that's that's why it feels strange. <laughs> like, it's, like, it's yeah. like, obviously that Galactus trilogy story was so impactful. Like, people remembered him enough that they could laugh at the Saturday Night Live sketches. But yet, it's not like it was something that it, you know it was only the one episode really you know what i mean that that somehow permeated that culture for the time being you know but but it wasn't it wasn't like a repetitive thing it wasn't like there were you know i don't know six seasons of of the adventures of superman and then when they did the i love lucy episode you're like oh of course like you know, George Reeves is Superman, and Lucy's dressed up as Superman, and this is so funny. And there have been, like, you know, almost six years' worth of, of Superman TV shows. It, it's more like there was one episode of Ultra Q, and then M1 shows up on fucking I Love Lucy, and it's all weird and shit. And people are, like, laughing about it, because Lucy's freaked out, because M1's in the living room, and she's like, Ricky! You know, and stuff, and you're all, like, freaked out. It's like, why did you do Lucy? You know, like, that kind of thing. And and, and you're just like, well, wait a minute. Like, it, it's, it's like, it's cool that it had such a, a memorable impact, or that they thought they could use it in, in humor, but then... I, I start to quite, you know, it's like one of those things where you're like, that's, that's kind of a weird history. Like he's, he's obviously like this memorable character, but he just didn't have repetitive longevity. I don't know if that makes any sense. You know what I mean? Like, like if he, if he hadn't have been in this Ultraman X episode, he just would have been that, that weird thing from Ultraman Q from like, you know, now what is it like, like 70, 60 years ago, like a long ass fucking time ago. You know, like, so I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a funny thing there, to me. 
How, how do you think Cats and Picard would react if M1 put humanity on trial instead of Q? He's like, this is bullshit, M1! Get me the fuck out of here! <laughs> like, you know, he's, he's, he keeps straightening his fucking thing or whatever. Like, I don't know. I Yeah, yeah. He's like, I mean, I guess at least M1 wouldn't be, you know, dancing around with, with mariachis and everything and, and <laughs> running around doing crazy stuff. But yeah, I don't know, dude. Like, like, can you see Picard in a beaker or maybe Riker in the beaker? Like, yeah, trying yeah, to pound awesome. his way out and shit. Like, you know, it's like, and Riker's like, get me out of here! And like, even a two-year-old would tell me to let me the fuck out of this beaker. You know, like that that kind of stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I would imagine, like, he would butt his head in when they were having, like, the trial with Data, where he's like, what are you going to do to Data if you lose the trial? You know, and you get all <laughs> judgmental and shit, you know? Like, that's that's yeah. kind of what I think would happen. But, uh, you know, I'm I'm, I'm sure... Uh, you see, that that's what I wonder about, because it's like, th- then part of me is like, is there an inherent comical nature to him, too, that we're, we're sort of overlooking because i bet you like in some cases when they had this character m1 show up on these other spin-off shows part of it is because he looks so funny in a in a strange way to us it's like strange and freaky but in another way it's it's probably strange in a comical way too where like can you imagine this hairy like ape chested ape bellied looking thing with beady eyes like next to picard like, isn't that, like, just a funny picture in and of itself, right? Like, can you imagine this thing on the bridge of, like, the, the 80s Enterprise, you know? Like, and Council Troy's <laughs> like, oh my, I sense, like, hostility. It's like, no shit, Troy. No shit. I sense some arrogance. Like, uh, yes, of course we do. I, uh, I want someone to draw, like, a picture of, like, M1 meeting Picard now. Like, maybe we could get Tony to commission a... Yeah. commission a, a, a title card for us or something you know who knows one thing i wanted to ask if you noticed you know all the people in the group the what is it called i forgot already oh CO the science group. Or, you know it's, it's yeah it's xio so i just call it yeah. i just call it co they all have like a little you know laser pistol like it's part of their gear did you notice that like when they get ready to shoot it like the this little arm slides over to kind of like mimic ultraman's like beam Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because well, because because a lot of the times they they always use those cards to mimic like other abilities and stuff. So I'm I'm guessing yeah. that's part of the whole, it's part of the whole deal when they they use their equipment at least in that in that universe at any rate. The other character I thought Tony was going to ask me about was uh, Doctor Guruman, which you know of course is that kind of weird alien character, but he's he's you know, a friendly alien who is basically assisting Zio. Like, he's basically a... Uh, he, he. I guess he's like the Dr. Flocks of the show, I guess, if I was going to make another analogy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's yeah. kind of... He's kind of... Yeah. He's an interesting character. He's got... He's got distinct opinions about humanity and the culture, and there's certain parts of it that he revels in, and there's other parts of it that totally baffle him, you know? But yet... Unlike Dr. Flox, it's not a guy that's done up in makeup and, and kind of can, can express himself in that way. He's, he's very much a tokusatsu type, uh, monster, you know, where he's, he, he, he's monstrous. He's, he's, he's basically a bem, you know, he's like a bug eyed monster, but he happens to be a doctor. So it's, it's almost like, 
when uh you know uh what's his nuts you know hey you guys from the muppets is like running around you know it's like it's like imagine that guy but he's he's a doctor you know and and a kind of kaiju monster and stuff but like he he didn't play too big a role in this episode but i i felt like the casual viewer if this is the first episode they started with they might see him in the background and go what the fuck's up with that dude who's that you know and like but you know obviously he he does he he is kind of a, a primary cast member and he's kind of like the i i guess if if uh if Doggy Kruger was, like, a scientist, you know, like, that's almost kind of the equivalent here, you know, like, that, that it's kind of like a, a suited character, but a, but it's a primary character in the series. Like I said, I did really like Ultraman X. I think I liked it, a, like, of the, this new wave of Ultraman series. Well, I haven't seen Ultraman G yet, to be perfectly honest, but, like, of the ones I've seen, I like, I think I like Ultraman X the most. Cool. Very cool. I mean, I I think it's a fun show. I enjoyed watching it, and yeah. then I I I I was happy to go see the 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 movies theatrically, and and of course one of those Ultraman X was in, so like that was that was super cool, you know, in both cases to to sort of be able to watch the whole run on Cr- Crunchyroll sort of as it was airing, and then and then go see a movie in the theaters, which was really cool. Like I don't. I, I have done that in the past when I was in Los Angeles occasionally, and I kind of thought once I, once I sort of moved from there, like I probably wouldn't have that opportunity very often. But when when they aired those uh, films for the uh, Alamo Draft House, that was something that was was super cool, and and I definitely enjoyed. And and Ultraman X is a part of that, so he's definitely you know a memorable sort of character in regards to two sort of fond theatrical memories but then also just you know something that that we we've gotten to see the whole series of and and has been really fun and everything and you know so and was this i'm trying to remember like was this one of the first uh synchronous streaming shows that they had on Crunchyroll, or was there something synchronously streamed before that no this was the first no, I, I believe this was the first yeah so so it also kind of holds a a special place as far as that goes so yeah all right well cool all right well i'm glad we got to discuss that and and like like i said this is this is kicking off our blue cupcakes strike back month here on fan holes podcast we've we've got some other shows lined up in the works that are going to be part of blue cupcakes month strikes back so we hope you check those out if you've enjoyed listening to toku thursdays of course you can find us on the fanholesPodcast.blogspot.com. if you have any comments questions and or concerns if you're like super concerned about tachibana and all his underage uh, uh <laughs> you know girls working for him and stuff like that you can send angry emails to uh, fanholspodcast at gmail.com. If you want to tear down some Hitler starfish monuments, you can also send angry emails to fanholspodcast at gmail.com. We are on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram. We are on all kinds of social medias. You can stream us on Stitcher Radio, and we are on iTunes. And, of course, we appreciate all the likes and feedback and stars and notes and all those kind of reviews, emails, whatever you send in. We are we are super happy to get those kinds of feedback. And, of course, even if you don't send in feedback and you're one of those people that is you know, continually downloading the show and enjoying it. We, we appreciate that as well. And, and we, you know, enjoy, um, 
you know, continuing to provide you some tokusatsu goodness and, and that kind of stuff. And of course, if you've enjoyed listening to Toku Thursdays, we hope you enjoy uh, or will consider checking out all of our various spin-off shows. We've got, uh, in addition to Toku Thursdays, we've got Mobile Suit Mondays, Sentai Saturdays, Transformers Tuesdays. We've got comic books, motherfucker, do you read them? We've got Big in Japan, where we talk about anime. And, of course, we've got our latest addition to the Fan Holes Continuum. We've got Justice Not Entirely Like Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast. So we've got plenty of other shows for you to check out, and we hope you enjoy or uh, consider checking those out. And and in addition to that, of course, we've got the Fan Holes podcast proper, which more than likely will be part of Blue Cupcake Strike Back Month. So we hope you consider checking out all of those. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC. I am a seagull. Signing off. And this is Justin. I'm going to abduct the listeners and uh, observe them in little test tubes and things. Nice. What if what if M1 abducted those uh, girls eating ice cream and stuff? Then that would be that would be kind of <laughs> creepy, right? Yeah. Can you coexist with Tachibana and the ice cream and all that other stuff <laughs> and and weird Japanese actors cosplaying as hippies? I was going to say, I thought M1 looked like a squat, chubby, Bigfoot, kind of. Mm, mm. See? Yeah. Yeah. There's, it's, it's, it's strange. It's like you, you want to, you, you want to identify it, but you can't. Like, yeah. you, you know, you know, it's made up of things that are familiar, but they're all kind of smushed together. So it's that, that weird feeling of like, I, I, I can kind of place that. I can kind of place it from a couple different places but it doesn't quite work and it looks strange not starfish hitler strange but strange <laughs> yeah <you know? laughs> or aunt capone or whatever man I'm, I'm looking forward to all that other shit i did i hadn't realized there's fucking napoleon and capone and wow man they 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 really got off they they they, they figured they had a thing going and they kept rolling with it huh i'm surprised uh uh, Billy the Kid's not a freaking hermit crab or whatever on uh, <laughs> on Common Rider X. Billy Zecto.